Good morning. I'd like to echo. And I'm one of the serving elders at Covenant. And uh, a lot of times uh, we have a series on uh, different uh, subjects. Nick just uh, finished one on the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. Um, but coming up, we're going to have some kind of standalone teaching um, as each person who comes to share uh, shares that one thing that's kind of been on their heart uh, to share. Uh, and hopefully these will be encouraging to you. This morning, uh, what I want to share on is spiritual warfare. Um, and we're going to look at, uh, first of all, some key verses in Ephesians uh, chapter 6. Paul writes to the Ephesians, he says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Put on the full armor of God, so that you may make your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this world's darkness, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, take up the full armor of God, so that in the day of evil, when the day of evil comes, you will be able to stand your ground. And having done everything to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, the breastplate of righteousness arrayed, and your feet fitted with the readiness of the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all of the flaming arrows of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Pray in the Spirit at all times with every kind of prayer and petition. Would you pray with me now? Lord, as we look to your Word this morning, we seek your help. Help in understanding how to stand in your Spirit, how to resist the enemy of our faith. Lord Jesus, it's not in our own strength we fight. We stand in the victory of your cross, and it is your shed blood we rely on. Teach us, Holy Spirit, how to do battle against the lies of the enemy in our lives and in the lives of others with courage and wisdom. We pray for your mercy and your help this day, Father, in the name of Jesus, your Son. Amen. So Nick just finished a series, as I said, on the kingdom of heaven. And by God's grace, we've received the gift of forgiveness in Christ, and we are made citizens of that kingdom. Let's look at some verses here from Colossians. It says, He, God the Father, has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of His beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So there is a kingdom of the beloved Son, and there's this other kingdom. This other kingdom is not the kingdom of God. It's not the kingdom of heaven. But it is the kingdom of this world. It is a domain and a dominion of darkness. And it is ultimately ruled over by a being the Scripture calls the devil. He's also referred in Scripture in other places as Satan, 
which in Hebrew means adversary, as the accuser in many places, such as Job, Zechariah, and Revelation. So who is this devil? In my experience, there's two mistakes that Christians can make when it comes to the devil. The first mistake is to think too little of him. The second mistake is to think too much of him. So let's look at the first one, uh, to think too little of him. Uh, Some of you may have seen a movie. It's called uh, The Usual Suspects. Uh, And there's a line in the movie that's delivered by uh, Kevin Spacey, who plays the a character of this criminal mastermind, Kaiser Soze. And uh, he says, the greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he did not exist. And if he can't believe, get you to believe he doesn't exist, then his second choice is that you would mischaracterize and underestimate him. The devil's nothing like the cartoon character with the horns and the long tail and pitchfork and maniacal grin that comes to mind when many people think of him. In fact, this is probably an image which he crafted and promoted himself, (laughs) I think. So who is this devil? In 1 Peter, Peter tells uh, the brethren, be alert, be of sober mind, Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of suffering. So your enemy prowls around like a roaring lion. A few years ago, my wife and I uh, went to Africa We went over there to build a couple bridges, footbridges. Think Indiana Jones-type footbridges. For some very marginalized villages that were out in the middle of nowhere. We built two bridges. The first was was in a place called Lesiju. And in Lesiju, I mean, to get to these places, there are no roads, not even dirt roads. You're just driving across open savanna for miles and miles and miles and watching your GPS very carefully. So we get to this place, and uh, these are the Maasai people. And uh, where we had to stay while we were working on the bridge were these open-sided, thatched-roof huts. And basically, it's just like a a structure that's open, and then it has a bed with a mosquito net, and there you are. So, So one morning, I woke up to uh a rather frightening sound. It was a lion. Uh, I woke up to the, my alarm clock that morning was the roar of this lion. And I'm uh, lying in bed there uh, in an open-sided hut uh, with a mosquito net. And that's all there is between uh, me and uh, this lion. I can tell you I was somewhat concerned. So, come to find out, though, uh, He was on the other side of the river. And uh, that came as a real relief to me that this lion 
was on the other side of the river. I don't know if any of you ever heard a lion roar, but it is frightening. It's loud, uh, very frightening. So why do I tell the story? Well, when you think about Satan and spiritual warfare, when you think about this lion that's prowling around, there is a river. It's a river of blood that flowed from the cross of Jesus Christ. And Satan, this roaring lion, is on the wrong side of that river. He can't get to you. He can't come at you. Now, my metaphor breaks down a little bit here. I suggest you do not build a bridge, okay? But very often, you're going to find out that your enemy doesn't appear to you with fangs and a roar. In fact, the word translated enemy here is actually the Greek word for opponent at law. It's anti-dikos. Think prosecuting attorney. So um, we see in the scripture that the enemy, uh, and a particularly good example of this is in the book of Job, we won't go there, but the enemy constantly comes before the Father and accuses you. He accuses you of your sins and your faults and your failings. And he's continually coming uh, to accuse you before the Father He's the prosecuting attorney. Now, who's the defense attorney? Well, that's Jesus. Because in every instance, Jesus says, well, I paid for that. Um, I died for that. I gave my life for that. So, but if you're not aware of that, um, you, you will be condemned. You will hear that accusatory voice and you will be condemned. Because the, the enemy wants to rob your joy. He wants to take away the joy and the abundant life that Christ came to give us. And he wants to make you ineffective in terms of you serving God. That's his desire. He can't take you because Jesus has you. But he can make you ineffective. He can make you miserable. So this first point I want to make is that Christians can think too little of the devil. I know Christians that actually don't believe the devil exists. Well, Jesus believed the devil existed. The apostles believed the devil existed. He's a formidable adversary, okay? Be alert. He's a whole lot smarter than you or me, and he has a lot of experience dealing with human beings he knows what buttons to push with us. And if he can't destroy your faith altogether, like I said, he wants to rob you of your joy and effectiveness in serving God. The other mistake that Christians can make is they can make too much of him. I know Christians who talk a lot about what the devil is doing. The devil's doing this. The devil's doing that. And they see him behind all their problems and difficulties. They're constantly arguing with him and fighting with him and even shouting at him. Unfortunately, I think he's quite happy with that. When we focus on him, we're not focused on Christ and the mission he's given us. The devil is not behind every lie, every evil thing that happens. Hebrews talks a little bit about the deceitfulness uh, of, of sin. 
Ephesians also talks about our deceitful desires. When the devil whispers something to us, his lies, there's something in us that wants to believe him. When he suggests that freedom lies just over the fence of God's commands, or that sin holds something essential to our happiness, or that obedience to God will make us miserable, there's something in us that wants to believe that. That's our sin nature. An essential thing that you need to understand as a child of God, a critical truth, is that Jesus Christ, through his suffering, death on the cross, and resurrection, defeated the enemy and broke his power over you. The scripture describes the power that he once had over us as enslavement through fear. What was the enslavement? What was the fear? It was the fear of death. Here's a couple verses, and I'm going to get, come back to these later, from Hebrews chapter 2. We're told by Jesus that by his death, he broke the power of him who held the power of death, that is the devil, and freed those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. We no longer need to fear death. We no longer need to fear the devil. We have been rescued from the dominion of darkness and brought into the kingdom of the beloved Son. You were purchased with blood. You were purchased with the blood of the Son of God. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. And no power on earth or in heaven or under the earth can snatch you from the hand of Jesus Christ. These verses from Romans are precious verses where Paul says, I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels or demons, neither the present or the future, or any powers, neither height nor depth, or anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Jesus Christ our Lord. Hallelujah. But there is still one power that the enemy retains. And that power remains unbroken. And he will use it on you every chance he gets. He is a liar. And he will lie to you. And that's the power that he has. He will lie to you. Jesus was speaking to the Pharisees who were opposing him. And he called them out on this in John 8, 44. He says, you belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. The devil is the father of lies. He started lying back in the garden to the children of God, and he has not stopped since. Those lies are, remember back when we read the verses at the beginning about the flaming arrows. Those lies are those flaming arrows. 
to combat them, to do spiritual warfare, you need both a shield and a sword. All right? The shield of faith, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. We're called to defensive warfare and offensive warfare. And that sword, that offensive weapon that God has given us, His Word, the Holy Spirit will teach you how to use in your walk with God. I would encourage you, I would encourage all of us, especially those of you who are new in the faith, study the Word of God. Soak up good teaching in God's Word. Learn God's Word and store it up. Treasure it in your heart. Think of it as sharpening cleaning and keeping your weapon in good repair so that when you need it, it's there. Now, in warfare or in sports, one of the most important factors in defeating an opponent is to know who they are and how they play the game. What's their overall strategy? What are their tactics? And we need to have the same attitude toward the devil. We need to understand what are his tactics, what are his methods. And uh, in 2 Corinthians, Paul says, we need to, to understand this in order that he might not outwit us. For we are not unaware of his schemes. And in context, Paul is saying this because there was a brother who had sinned, uh, who was kind of isolated from the, the family of God because of his sin. He repented, and now Paul is saying, embrace this brother. Even though he sinned, forgive him and take him back into your hearts and into your midst. Why? Because Paul understood that unforgiveness and divisiveness is one of the most powerful tactics of the enemy. Paul understood this. And you have only to look around you today to know that that is still true. And it is a very effective tactic and strategy. The enemy seeks to divide us. You know, you can see this in any National Geographic video you've ever watched, right? You know, you watch these programs and you see like the wolves coming. Well, they never attack the herd. They always try to cut like a, a weak member of the herd out. And then they, they attack that weak member after they've divided them from the herd. That's why it's very important for us as Christians to, uh, to be together. Uh, even if it's only virtually, we are together. Um, but because uh, one of the tactics of the enemy is to isolate you. He wants to isolate you and attack you. So, we could spend some time talking about the garden, the fall, um, how the world is broken because of it, because of our disobedience, because of us turning away from God. But we really don't have a lot of time to do that. But the, the first lie that the enemy ever told was to Eve. He basically said... Um, Hath God really said that if you eat of this fruit, you will surely die? Is that, is that what he said? He questioned it. He questioned God. 
And in every lie that we hear from the enemy, there's always a question. There's always a question about God's intent, about God's character. Does he really care for you? Is he really watching out for you? So again, these flaming arrows, it's a good analogy. Do you know what a flaming arrow looks like when it's coming at you? And here's my hint. It does not look anything like an arrow that's on fire. It looks like something else. And that's part of the difficulty. The attacks of the enemy are all, not always straightforward. The, the enemy of your faith is also the enemy of my faith, but he has a plan of attack that's different for you than for me. You have different weaknesses, different temptations than I do. And each flaming arrow is custom made. So what is this spiritual warfare I'm talking about? What does it look like? Well, like with many things, Jesus Jesus gave us a good model. And the scripture records this event that happened early in the ministry of Jesus where the Spirit of God led him into the wilderness and he encountered the devil and did battle with him. And here's the account. This is from Matthew 4, verses 1 through 11. And in this, you're going to see some attacks that will happen to you as you walk with the Lord. It says, Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and he said, If you are the Son of God... Then tell these stones to become bread. So this is the first attack. And the attack is basically that God will not take care of me. I need to take care of myself. I'm out here in the wilderness. I'm hungry. I haven't had anything to eat in 40 days and 40 nights. I'm the son of God. I have this power available to me. I could make a gesture with my hands and this stone would become bread. But that was not the Father's will. Jesus came to do the Father's will, not his own. So the enemy is attacking him here. He's basically calling into question whether the Father really cares for Jesus, will really provide for him. And he does that with us. And Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him... Stand on the highest point of the temple. And he said, if you're the son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that, they, so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. Again, another attack. God is not aware of my situation, my peril. He doesn't really care what's happening to me. He will not protect me. And... Uh, Jesus answered again with Scripture. It says, says, do not, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. The third instance, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give to you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. So this is the third attack. You do not need to go to the cross to have power, pleasure, find life. You can have all this separate from the cross, 
separate from God. Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then it says the devil left him and angels came and attended to him. A little bit more information from the account in Luke. It says, when the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. And we know one of those opportune times came later when Jesus was about to go to the cross. And he was explaining to the disciples how he had to go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders and the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Peter took him aside and said, began to rebuke him, said, never, Lord, never. This shall never happen to you. And Jesus' response was to turn to Peter and say, get thee behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but mere human concerns. The devil chose an opportune time. He chose a time when Jesus was weak, when he was struggling. The devil doesn't fight fair. If you're down, he will kick you harder. When something in our lives tempts us to set aside the concerns of God and the will of God, the truth of God, understand where that comes from. The enemy wants to be a stumbling block in your life. He can't have you because you belong to Jesus. But he can thwart you. He can resist you. So one of the things we see from Jesus' encounter with Satan in the wilderness is we can't afford to be passive in this thing called spiritual warfare. Jesus had his sword ready and sharp. He countered every attack of the devil with truth from God's word. It's a battle. The action of sin in our lives, you see it all over Scripture. It's spoken of in predatory terms. And by that I mean, uh, go back to our verse about the roaring lion prowling around, seeing who can, he can devour. God, speaking to Cain in the book of Genesis, speaks of sin, lying in ambush. He said, if you do what's right, will you not be accepted? If you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door and it desires to have you, but you must rule over it. It's an ambush situation. 1 Timothy 3.7 talks about pride being a snare of the devil. Proverbs 1.17 talks about in vain a net is spread in the sight of any bird. They used to catch birds by setting these nets, these snares. But they wouldn't set them up while the birds were watching. The devil will not set his traps for you while you're watching in plain view. Every sin that tempts us, in every sin that tempts us, is a lie that is hidden, which questions the character and the loving intention of the Father towards us. But the spirit of truth that God has given you that dwells in every believer will help you recognize the lie. And once you discover the lie, it will help you 
avoid being ensnared by it. So James says, submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. In the 50 years that I've walked with the Lord, there's been times when the devil has fled from me. There's been times when I've fled from him. There's other times that I've tried to negotiate him, negotiate with him. It's better to have him flee from you. Trust me. Now, sometimes it helps me if I read scriptures both forward and backward. So I'm going to read this backward. What happens if I don't submit my life to God and his will? It says, submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. What happens if I don't put up resistance to the devil and his whispered lies? What happens if I don't draw near to God? Well, then the devil has no reason to flee from you and every reason to continue tormenting you. As I said before, his goal is to steal the joy and blessing God intends for you and render you ineffective in serving God. Don't let him. Spiritual warfare is not a passive activity. And we don't, like Paul says in another part of Scripture, we don't fight like a shadow boxer flailing at the air. We have weapons. We have a shield. We have a sword. Take those up. Now I mentioned these verses from Hebrews earlier, and I'm going to end with these. These are precious verses in your fight against the devil. Hebrews 2, 14 through 18. And this describes Jesus and his work on our behalf. It says, since the children have flesh and blood, he too, Jesus, shared in their humanity so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is, the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by the fear of death. For surely it's not angels he helps, but he helps Abraham's descendants. That's us, the household of faith. For this reason, he had to be made like them. Like us, fully human in every way. In order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God. And that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Because he himself has suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. That's you and me. Jesus was tempted as we're tempted. And he suffered in that temptation. It cost Jesus something to resist sin, just like it will cost you something, cost me something. There is suffering in it to turn away from sin and temptation, and to turn toward God. And Jesus knows that. He understands that. Further on in Hebrews, it says, we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who's been tempted in every way, just as we are. Yet he did not sin. And therefore, because of that, Because Jesus was fully human in every way, tempted and suffered as we do. Let us approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy 
and find grace to help us in our time of need. The suffering you experience resisting temptation to do what you want instead of embracing what God's want, Jesus understands that suffering. And when you struggle against deceitful desires within and the whispered lies from the enemy without, Jesus understands your weakness and he is there for you. Our tendency is to want to hide from God when we're weak, when we're suffering. Just like Adam and Eve did in the garden, you know, they sinned against God, they went and hid from him. This is a scheme of the enemy. Instead, the scripture tells us to do exactly the opposite, to come boldly before the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the victory that your son accomplished on the cross on our behalf. Thank you for that shed blood. Thank you for your grace in our lives every day in helping us to turn away from sin and to turn toward you, Lord God, to desire your will to follow after you, Lord. We thank you for this in Jesus' name.